Well, uh, well, let's go ahead and pray and we'll get in uh, into our study this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together, Lord. We thank you for presence of uh, Barbara just and how much we have missed her and it's so good to see her and, and to have Tommy back, Lord. We just give you praise and we just pray that you would bless us now as we, uh, as we go um, and think about your word, as we think about uh, um, a just war theory and um, and what that means, especially when it concerns the will of God and the place of America and the church and just some of the confusion we can get into and just what it means to seek after your will. And so we pray that you would bless us now as we consider these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, um, in high school I learned about a verse um, in the scriptures. Second Chronicles. 714. Is anyone familiar with 2 Chronicles 714? Most yes. misused passage in the Bible. That's one of them. So <laughs> now, so what does anyone remember what it says just from memory? <laughs> Who are called by my name. Yep. So yeah, so it says, and so we're gonna use ESV here. So 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, um, when I was an intern for the presbytery, we had a guest preacher come in and he gave a sermon. And this is during the Obama administration. Now, um, cards on the table. I didn't vote for Obama. Didn't like his, a lot of his administrative policies. wasn't wasn't a fan. But the past this pastor got up. He was a retired minister. He came in and and he his sermon essentially was a very long illustration in which a man is invited to the White House for dinner and he is progressively robbed blind by the president. And the moral of the story is at the end. He started by taking the guy's role, and the guy didn't want to say anything, and then he took more and more stuff progressively throughout the dinner. And, uh, and, then, and then at the end, at the, end the president in the story goes, you should have stopped me at the role. Okay? And, uh, and then the pastor quoted that verse. And he, now he said, I know I probably shouldn't quote this verse, but I'm going to, which is a very curious thing for a pastor to say. <laughs> so... If I say I'm about to misapply a verse, but I'm going to do it anyway because it sounds good, please pull me aside. All right. And, um, and I was kind of dumbfounded. I was new to the PCA. I was new to the church. And, uh, and I went and talked to my mentor, Steve Jones, uh, uh, and said, is that normal? Is this what we normally do? Um, because the question about 2 Chronicles 7.14 that raises issues is, who is to be identified by the phrase, my people? Who is that? Israel. 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 That's right. Israel is the people of God. And as we move into the New Testament and through into the New Covenant, who is the Israel, the true Israel? Jesus Christ and His his church, his people, yes. and so when we apply, when we uh, so when we apply texts like this to the modern day, which you can apply this text properly, 
Is it talking about America? No. No. But that text has been misused to say, my land, because we sang, this is your land, this is my land, and when we were kids, and so, therefore, anytime we see it in a Bible, we assume that land must refer to America, right? And so, um, and so what's, uh, and so when we talk about um, texts that speak of Israel, if we're going to interpret them through the scriptures in the New Testament and Christ and the gospel, then when we apply them, we apply them to the church, right? To the church. And so, um, and this is important because now America is a Christian nation, right? It is a nation with a Christian heritage, that has that. Yeah, I see. I, don't worry. I see. I see what you're doing over there. Yeah, I'm, kind of, yeah. I'm not going to say it. It's, it is. Well, it is. It, it, and it's and our origins are debated as to how Christian it is. But um, even um, even if most of the framers of our Constitution were what a lot of scholars called theistic rationalists rather than actual what we would call like evangelical believers, um, even if the majority of them were kind of these theistic rationalists, they still worked out of a biblical framework. They, they believe that for morality to exist, that the, the traditional monotheistic, and, and they're working from a Christian point of view, the belief in God was necessary to have a society, a moral society that could handle uh, a, um, a, a, a society that has a kind of um, disciplined freedom that is given to its populace. And so, um, and so we do have good reasons to be concerned uh, about the you know the potential loss or even actual loss of our Christian heritage, as well as immorality uh, that is in our country and in our culture, we have good cause to be concerned for those things. Um, but we can also take comfort in the benevolence and kindness of God, which spares the wicked for the sake of His children. All right, and so um, and so uh, it, and so we. Um, but this should lead us to a place of revival, right? To praying for revival, praying for revival of Christianity, of the Christian faith in uh, our country. Um, but again, we, what we need to do uh, is avoid making one-for-one one, uh, um, uh, correlations between when we see Israel in the Old Testament and saying, well, this text applies to America, right? Because if we actually want to take it within a biblical worldview, um, and looking at the at the nations, is is uh, uh, is America Jewish or Gentile? Gentile. It's largely Gentile, right? It's, it's I mean, we are the ends of the earth from the Acts perspective, right? People are just like, this is Jerusalem, you know. We're like, no, Jerusalem's over there, right? So so we are the ends of the earth from the perspective of the Book of Acts, and so which is amazing because we're the far off country. Right, <laughs> that the missionaries go to, uh, and so rather than the other way around, and so um, uh, and so now the the moral corruption of our culture can be seen as itself as a judgment, right? So I want to read a, a couple of passages, and and this is all trying to help us, and and so I'm trying to relate this to basically we're we're in this study of just war theory, and um, and we're trying to understand from a Christian perspective. Uh, what it means to um, engage in war, what war is, how do we view it, how do we approach it. And we're talking about right now the will of God. And one of the important issues that I want to address here today that we already started to address is if we're going to do that, then we need to actually get a better, more biblical picture of America. 
in the world and kind of how we interpret that so we don't make the mistake of doing 2 Chronicles 7.14 kind of misapplications to the text. And so how do we rightly apply the scriptures to our own situation as a country? And so because we just have to be careful about that because also, uh, I mean, are we are we the only country that claims to have a Christian heritage? No. No. Yeah. So so there are other countries who claim to have that. And so we're like, but we're the best one. Right. And it was like, (laughs) you know, it's just kind of like, how do we, you know, make that argument? And you're like. And you're like, well, I'm not sure if we can make that argument, even if we could at any point. I'm not sure if we can make that argument today, really. So, um, it, but it's, it's still there. So uh, Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then going to verse 24 and 25. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of the of their hearts to impurity, to the to to this the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So let me ask you, how is God's wrath being revealed according to Paul? In Romans one, is it is it a flood of fire? Was it Tommy? Gave them over. Yeah, by giving them what they want, saying okay. The, the, the greatest thing that can happen to us is that they give us what we want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, this is a silly example, but when I was about like nine or ten, where I was with my mom in a grocery store, and I did that thing that kids do when they see toys in grocery stores and start whining, yeah. and so, and I just kept whining and whining and whining, and I wouldn't let up, and just kept whining and whining, and finally she just threw her hands up, she said, "Fine, get the thing." It was like some Batman toy, and um, and I got it, and I was like, "Yeah," and then um, and then I was gonna you know go to the store or we we're gonna go check out, but as soon as I had it in my hands. It just it lost all joy. I finally got what I wanted, but I felt so bad about it because I knew what it cost me to get it, you know, and just it felt so terrible just to get the thing that at the expense of my mom's just frustration, you know, and I was like, all right, let's put it back, you know, and so I was like, I can't even get this thing. I couldn't even enjoy it, right, even though I had gotten the thing I wanted. And so sometimes a form of judgment that God will do is he will give people the sin that they are wanting so badly. And so you want this God so bad, you want to worship that God? Okay, fine. There you go. You know, and 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 in in some kindness, it's a judgment in some ways. In other ways, God will use that to teach us what horrible master sin is. Right? And so um Psalm 50 verses 21 to 22 always uh it always strikes me because it's a terrifying passage. <laughs> So, um, but he basically goes and he describes, uh, he talks about uh, these people and how, uh, the people um, in Israel who are doing these wicked things and unbelievers who are doing these wicked things. And he says in verses 21, 22, this is the, towards the end of the psalm. These things you have done and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. And so if God, 
So what is God then doing at the present moment, he's saying? At the present moment, he's, he's saying, what, in that passage, what is he saying? I might be what? I might be doing what right now? Yeah, 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 I might be silent for the moment, but is God going to be silent forever? No. God may give people over to their lusts of the flesh for now, but will he do so forever? No, because that momentary judgment will ultimately give way to the final judgment, right? And so there is that final judgment where it is God bringing the judgment. And so, um, and just that, that line about, lest I tear you apart. Um, so uh, you just remember that one next time you're tempted to sin. So, so just that that line because uh, it it'll it, sometimes it helps wake you up. And so we have to be careful here not to kind of do like I said, like you know, Israel's America and the Taliban or the Canaanites or something kind of thing like that. Um, and this means that it's even true that when um, you know there were uh, groups of Christians who came over and they talked about kind of. America, this is kind of a new Israel, and we're kind of moving the, these pagan Canaanites, uh, these Native Americans, out. You know, there was a really bad theology that didn't grip everybody, but there were, there were groups who had that kind of a view, and they were making that kind of uh, correlation um, between that. And so we'd say, no, that, that is not a biblical axis. So we, so we need to get a better picture of what America is biblically, because that's going to help us inform us into how uh, we view America and its relationship to the world. Because if we view America as the new Israel, how might that affect us in how we think about other nations or people groups? Yeah, yeah. See, yeah. See them as someone to be conquered. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, one thing I've noticed is when, when, we, when, when people misapply biblical scriptures to, to people, it usually goes really bad, right? When it gets misapplied to groups of people and it kind of exalts me and, ex- and lowers other people or something like that, usually, even if that's not what the actual text in the Old Testament does, we tend, people will tend to use it to do those types of things. And usually there's really bad things that follow out of that. Yeah, becomes licensed. Yeah, to to exalt ourselves. Well, you had mentioned last week, I think it was, yeah. you know, about how the, the people all, you know, when you get into the war and the um, the will of God, it's like, yeah, we want to make sure God's on our side. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like a lucky rabbit's foot type thing. Yeah. You know, you would be tempted in this case if you tried to project mm-hmm. that to us. Well, we're the chosen people, so God must be on whatever we do. God's on our side, so we can't be wrong. Right, yeah. All of that I just said is wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it okay. gives us a kind of an exalted status to where, yeah, God's on our side. And, you know, and so, and you, and you know, and you've heard people kind of take that kind of attitude just about individual uh, decisions they've made in their life that are sinful and wrong, and they'll basically say, well, I'm at peace with God about it, or God's okay with it, or God's on my side. And it's like, well, yeah, but just because, you know, it's like, God doesn't just sit in the corner approving all the things that we do, right? We are accountable, accountable to God for the things that we do. That's a very different picture, right? And so if we had a better picture of that, um, and even... Now, I do believe, though, in saying all that, that the nations are accountable to God. That we are accountable to God as a nation. 
And so, and that nations that seek to, that, that, um, and it gets real complicated and messy, but, but that nations who um, do seek to allow for religious freedom or di- different aspects or seek to not completely violate, you know, um, the natural order, um, the things that God has put into place that, you know, that, that, that God will bless that, you know, um, at, at the same time, because he does condemn pagan wicked nations in the Old Testament. I mean, like, even though he uses Babylon as a sword against his own people, you know, he tells Habakkuk, oh, they're getting theirs too. He says, you know, don't you worry, that wicked nation is going to get judgment. Um, but first, I'm going to use them to judge you. So, so, um, so we just have to remember that God is the sovereign God. And so, uh, um, Here, David, yeah. speak about God, I think we should be very careful. You'll, you'll hear people, well, my God would do this or would do that, whatever. When we speak possessively about God, if we're going to speak about God, we need to let he, Him speak about Himself by His Word. If mm-hmm. you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. He tells us who He is, His, uh, his nature, His being on but, you know, anytime it's, it's kind of a red flag for us if we start saying, my God, and then we go on and, and then we describe him in some way. And sometimes we really are projecting yeah. who we are yeah. rather than describing accurately who God is. But God's word tells us what kind of being he is. Well, and also, in addition to that, we've also there's also been a trend over the last few years because of all the difficulties and hardships we've been through that... Um, there has actually been a, a noted shift in, in many churches where people have gone from evaluating uh, politics through their faith to evaluating their faith through their politics. And so, and so you have people, you know, uh, you know, their church closed for a month because of COVID. And so they were like, you're weak sauce. And so they went to a church that stayed open and I'm done with you. You know, um, because you're being weak, you're giving in, you're part of the conspiracy, you're whatever the whatever the thing was that that it was that they that they bought into, and so um, and so you see this kind of shift that that's happened even in the evangelical church, where there's there are pastors who are using um, that type of stuff even as a church growth strategy. They're just get, you know if I can get people if, if it brings people in the seats, well I'm just going to tell them and give them what the, what they want, and um, uh, and so uh, and so and. And so politics has become so toxic, become so kind of radicalizing for a lot of people that, you know, if, if they're not getting what they, if not hearing the right political message from their pastor uh, or from the church, then they're like, well, I'm going to go to a different church that does give me the political message that I, that I agree with. And it's like, um, and so, and so, um, and what, what the approach that I take is to exposit the scriptures and to let us as, Christians apply those principles, those scriptures, to how we engage with our political aspects. That's why I don't get up and we all should vote for this bill or that guy or whatever. Or this guy, we just uh, what because that's that's not my place. I don't know. I, I don't know the the merits of that bill or I don't know that politician and I don't know all the ins and outs and all the things like that. And so it's not on me to go. You should vote here or do this or do that. Right? And so and so, but what? But I am responsible to. Exposit the word to present Christ, to teach from the scriptures, and to give those principles, and that would enable us and equip us to apply those to the world of politics. So that's so that, but that's something that's come up in the last few years, where where things have been arising, rising tensions in a lot of churches, and where um, uh, where there's been a lot of problems, there's been schisms, there's been all kinds of issues, there's been pastors retiring, 
uh, um, early um, or leaving churches because they're just worn out. So um, uh, from all the fighting about politics, and so and so we have to be careful about it. So this brings us to the question of how can we discern God's will, and um, there is. Um, Now, does anyone, uh, does anyone recall the, 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 uh, the two types of will we discussed last week? There's the hidden will. Yeah. Hidden. And then, uh, what was the other one? Revealed. Right? And so, okay, so you have the revealed will and the hidden will. Now, what, uh, um, what are, what are, what's the defining aspects of the hidden will of God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God knows we don't. And then, uh, what about uh, what about the revealed will? God's word. Yeah, we, we said yeah. God's word, Scripture, and and where else? In nature. Yeah. So we talk about general revelation in nature, special revelation in Scripture, but we have the will of God revealed for us very clearly in uh, in these in these two because um, uh, because while uh, the, the revelation of nature is that sufficient um, to uh, to uh, reveal salvation to us? No, no. It's re- it's enough to know that we're condemned. It's enough to know there's a God and that this world's under judgment. But, uh, but Scripture is what reveals our salvation. And explicitly, things like the Ten Commandments, right? These, these principles of life and blessing that God gives us. And so, um, now, when I am helping Matt out with this study, we're normally dealing with guys who are either flight instructors or flight students. If they're flight students, then they haven't, they've never been into combat and they have, um, and and the next big question for them at a meridian is, where am I going to fly? What type of jet am I going to fly? Am I going to fly a Growler? Am I going to fly an F eighteen Super Hornet? Am I going to, if I'm a Marine, am I going to try to worm my way in to get in those sweet sweet F thirty fives that we got? You know, um, like what what am I going to try to do? Uh, and so they're dealing with the stress of the competition as well of that and trying to pass all these things. Uh, and so uh, and so they're. You know, they, they, that's their immediate, you know, we talk about the will of God. Where should I go? What should I do? What should I fly? Right. So um, and we have the, we have those types of questions that come up um, beyond just are we going to win this battle? Right. So I just want to highlight we, we ask the will of God questions all over the place. It applies to con- like, you know, Lord, are we going to win this war? Are we going to win this fight? Is Ukraine going to be able to repel Russia? Is Russia going to stop? Are they going to eventually wear them out? How are the nations going to respond? You know, God, what's your will here, right? Uh, so we're asking those types of questions. So how do we discern God's will for us? And so, uh, in, and so there, are, there are different ways to answer this question. I actually have a six-part answer for you. Um, uh, for, it's, uh, I'm going to summarize an entire book. <laughs> for you uh, that I read from the, one of my professors wrote on this issue. Um, but first we have to talk about what, you, what we don't need to do. Uh, but it is something that many Christians unknowingly do, um, uh, which is, uh, is, has to do with this word divination. 
Does anyone, uh, does anyone have any idea what divination might mean? Bad. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so uh, what's, what, what's, uh, what's one of the core aspects of the word divination? Divine. divine. Yeah. Now, beyond saying something is of God by saying, oh, that's divine, um, if I'm divining something, what am I doing? Yeah, you're trying to hit. Yeah, you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to find the hidden meaning. Yeah, divining is is a general word that means essentially to get into the mind of God. And so, and so, the way that pagans would divine is they would they had a variety of doing this. They would uh, um, they would take um, animals and they would cut them open and they would see kind of how the, the 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 organs were and they would divine usually using using different organs out of the out of um, body parts. Um, uh, that was one way that uh, pagans would divine. Uh, so uh, there's a, there's another um, there's another ins- example of divining in the Old Testament. It uh, it has to do with old, our good old buddy Gideon. Yeah. Now what did what did Gideon do with that fleece? He put it out there and it said, you know, make it dry and wet all around. Or I always mix up the order and then and then make it wet and and dry all around. And now was what Gideon was doing was that a good thing or a bad thing? It was a bad thing. It's a bad thing. And, I, and I, for the life of me, I cannot understand all the Bible studies about Gideon and how to do what Gideon did. I don't know, for the life of me, how, why people keep putting those out. Like, Gideon is not an example to follow any more than Samson is an example to follow. Oh, I can get honey out of a dead lion carcass. That's a great idea. And I'm going to go hook up with a prostitute. Like, like, that's not... Like, Samson is not an example... And Gideon is not an example. The Judges is a very dark, dark book. Bad examples. It goes from okay, from pretty good to okay to really dark and bad by the end, right? What about casting lots? Well, so, that, so, so that's a good example. So, um, so we just uh, so um, casting lots. It, so it's a, that's a different type of thing. But it was something that they did use in order to kind of discern God's will. In the, in the Old Testament, there's also the example of the Umim and the Thummim, uh, which we don't know what they are, but the best guess is kind of like casting lots, essentially. It's kind of like rolling dice a bit. Um, and so uh, we know that lots were cast in order to select the 12th apostle who would replace Judas. But beyond that usage in Acts chapter 1... Lots is never brought up as as an example or something to do in the church ever to make a decision. It's never said, elders, you know, if you're in a tough spot, you know, cast lots to make that decision. Like there's no example. In fact, um, as uh, one scholar wrote, he said there's no command or example in the New Testament where God responds miraculously to a Christian desiring to know his will. And so that means um, that means that also that that also means that, um, you know, if uh, there I know also one thing that's really popular right now is fasting. And the idea that if I fast long enough, that God will give me some sort of revelation, that he will give me some sort of kind of miraculous uh, um, revelation uh, as to what his will is. And so um, and so the the casting of lots is a difficult one. It really is, and so, um, but uh, but the example of it is it's not ever prescribed for us. 
So. You know, really, Paul was the 12th one left. He was the 13th. I know, but I'm talking about if you really look at it that way, Mm -hmm. he was the one God chose. Yeah, and... and yeah, it, well, and he was, and, and, and they viewed that the, the, the choosing of Matthias was viewed as God's will, but it was, it, the idea was is that you had the complete 12 representing the 12 tribes of Israel, the new people of God, and so, and then, and then Paul's the 13th, and his position as the 13th is important because he's the Gentile one, right? He's the, the apostle to the Gentiles, and so, and that's the picture of the church there. No, I don't think so, because it, that's not the same thing as divining, um, and so divining is usually by some sort of ritual uh, that you're essentially trying to kind of get into the head of God, whereas, this is the, whereas the casting of lots is essentially a submission to God's sovereignty over chance, and to be able, okay, we're going to do this. Um, but didn't they also so. choose one, I forget the language in this passage, but... They didn't just throw it out there and say, you know, pick anybody in Jerusalem. Yeah, it wasn't a random. They picked yeah. one of the group. Okay? Yeah. It was, I, I think it was between it two people. The, the, yeah. It wasn't just, that yeah. would have been divination, okay? Yeah, the, or, yeah. you know, whoever this lands yeah. on. You know, there, there, there were certain criteria that were required yeah. to be eligible, and so they had two men yeah. who were available, and so and then the lot cast down that. It's a little different. It's that. a little different, and, and also we, we move from the Old Testament also from to, remember we're always moving from Old Testament, which is more shadowy and more obscure, to clearer and greater clarity in the New Testament. And so like there's the example of the, um, the sin of Achan in, Josh, in, in Joshua 7, where essentially by lot, they figure out it was Achan, right? They go through and they kind of, they go through and they do it by lot. And so there's still a lot of mystery to lots. I mean, we basically say it's like rolling dice or like choosing the short straw or something like that. We don't really have a ton of information on it. And so, um, and it's, and so I wouldn't say they're necessarily wrong for doing so, but it's never something that is presented to us as, um, as even though they did it once, it's never presented to us like in all the letters that Paul writes to Timothy, who's in a lot of difficult spots in, uh, or to Titus. Or in the letters from Peter, like it's never brought up, never comes up in any leadership context, in any other church context. There's that one use of it um, in the by the church that's recorded in the Book of Acts, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, not, not yeah, nothing, nothing positive is really put forward to it except for that just one use of it. Because before that, the only use of it was casting lots to get Jesus' clothing. So and so and so, you could have positive and negative there, but. Um, and also, when we're told about how to discern God's will, lots never comes up, casting lots. And so, uh, and so, it just so there, and there are just different versions of this. There's also like, I mean, I literally have talked to somebody who, you know, they were just kind of like, well, you know, you know, Lord, if you want me to go buy a new car, let me see a blue Volkswagen today, you know, or something like that. And it's kind of like, and it's that type of stuff. It's Whatever, if whatever we're doing is trying to get into the mind of God to discern his hidden will, then we are practicing some form of Christian divination. All right. And it does. And and I don't mean that to be harsh. I just mean that. I'm just saying it's it is we're doing we're doing that, which is got the New Testament never tells us to do. How do you draw the line of prayer and privacy? 
Bible prayer? How do you draw the line mm-hmm. to keep your, to kind of protect yourself from doing this mm-hmm. and not thinking you're doing it mm-hmm. to desire God's will? Well, if you're if you're if you're well, it's not that it's not that it's not a desire to know God's will because that's okay. Um, it's it's are we involving a ritual or a test? Because um, that's what that's what it is. It's so are we? We're we're like. I'm going to fast and God is going to reveal something specific to me. Or I'm going to, I'm going to look out and see if God shows me this, because if he shows me this, then this will happen. And so, now, we, now, but people point to the Old Testament and they'll point to examples where they did that. They'll say, well, Jonathan said, um, Lord, if you want us to take the camp, then, then have them say, come up here, right? And then they said, come up here. And so, but the problem is, is that, the problem with that type of interpretation is that so so what what are the two major parts of the Bible? Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament and New Testament. Okay, all right, and then the New Testament starts like right there, right? But it's space wise in your Bible, right? So Old Testament is like two thirds. Okay, so now. What does Jesus say the Old Testament's all about? Him. Him. Okay. You have the cross, you have him. So so if I go here and I go, well, Jonathan said this. And so therefore, and, and so if we're doing a timeline too, you have Old Testament, New Testament, and you have, you know, us somewhere way over here, right? There's the end of the New Testament, and then that's a lot of spe- that's a lot of a lot of years between that. And so what we're saying is, well, this happened to Jonathan, so right? Just and that's me, right? What's the problem? You skipped it. We just skipped the cross. Yeah. Like, right, we skip we, we skip the entire development of new of redemptive history. And so the reality is that we have to interpret these events in light of the cross. In light of the New Testament, and then we get to us. Now that is pretty complicated. And are you saying? And it's like, well, Eric, are you saying if I go read about David and Goliath, I got to do some like, got to read the rest of the Bible, like, <laughs> like all the way through? And it's like, well, no, I'm not exactly saying that. But, but when we read a story like David and Goliath, we don't necessarily have to go. Well, David is me, and I am David, and so therefore, I am going to go and sling the rocks of whatever and at this whatever because now I'm just turning it into an allegory. All right, the medieval church, the Catholic church did that and it, it just went really weird and really bad. Okay, just they were all, all kinds of interpretations so we start allegorizing. But when you interpret these stories in light of the cross and so we have, and so we have to ask ourselves, okay, well, we see that Jonathan did that but do we have any examples of that in the New Testament? Do we have any examples of that going on in the New Testament? What do we see happening in the New Testament when people want to know the will of God? When they're asking for God to do something? It's like, what are they doing? They're praying. Right? What are they, you know, so, and so what are the examples that we have actually in the New Testament and what it tells us to do? But the problem is, is that, um, that there's a lot of people who just honestly aren't satisfied with that. And so we need to have something more. We need to have something more. We need something beyond. And so... Um, and so this is, uh, is actually, many have pointed out, this is actually one of the problems with the book Jesus Calling. Um, 
and it's not, and, and it's, um, and it's the, the, and it actually has to do with the introduction of the book that was later taken out by the publisher because it was controversial. Um, that because the author of Jesus Calling wrote at the, in the introduction that you know the scripture was great, the scripture was wonderful, but she needed something more than that. And so she started praying in herself and kind of, what would Jesus say? And she started writing out these these speeches, kind of you know from Jesus and writing them out and writing them out. That, you know, and um, and and as as book reviewers remarked, they said. Jesus sounds a lot like a middle-aged woman from the West. I don't know. You know, so it's kind of like, this is, you know, and so, uh, and it's not that, that everything's bad in that book or anything like that, um, but, that but that's one of the fundamental issues is saying, look, we've got, we've got the revealed will of God in the scriptures and in creation, but that's not enough. I need more. So, um, oh, well, I uh, got to hurry, hurry along here. Sorry. So, so, we have, um, so uh, what, what do we do? Uh, question. Yes. Don't you believe that the closer we are to the Lord, the more he reveals to us? You know, I mean, yeah. either with good feelings, with, with a preacher's sermon. Yes. Just yeah. things like yeah. that, that it's just like, yeah. you know. Yeah. It, I mean, it does Well, I certainly believe in, like, movement of the Spirit, the confirmation of the Spirit, the Spirit is working in us, confirming the Word of God in us, and, and our emotions are part of that, how we feel is a part of that. There are also there are inexplicable times where God may, may miraculously reveal something to us. I'm not denying that, actually. So, um, uh, but, to, but, um, um, but, but it's the problem is when that becomes the standard. And so, and also, the other problem is, is when people will... Uh, will say will use that, and they'll use it to justify something that is contradictory to the scriptures. So, but the more we spend time, mm-hmm. it just seems like then if you if you don't spend time, they don't talk to you. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I mean, yeah. In, in that way, you feel yeah. like it's really from him. Yeah. That if. Um, yeah. The more we spend time with God in prayer and His Word. Then the then then all then the more the closer we will be to him, and so and the more sensitive we will be to the spirit, and wow. so and so yeah absolutely yeah there was that picture I think Babylon B put it out and it was the guy who said you know Lord I just want to hear from you he said a foot from his Bible you know so like his unopened Bible so so just like <laughs> you know he just he, he just turned away from the Bible speak to me so you know and it's just like look if we want to hear from God we know where to go. And then in those, in those moments. So I want to run through six things. We're going to have to go through these pretty quick. Um, uh, but uh, these are six things uh, that um, one of my professors uh, in a book, he called uh, Finding the Will of God. Is it a pagan notion? Like, is it pagan to find the will of God, to seek it out, to desire it? He says no, but there are some wrong ways to do it. And he's the one that was talking about that Christian divination approach. Um, because it says, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you. Well, verse, I'll just go to verse 2. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we are supposed to discern what the will of God is. But we do it through the transformation and being transformed by the renewal of our mind. 
right? And you're like, yeah, so listen to R.C. Sproul and Liginian. That's their, that's, that's their slogan, right? Renewing your mind. So, but that's where they get it from, right? That we'd be able to discern the will of God. And that, mean, that would be to apply God's word to our lives. And so, uh, and so number one, and this will become no surprise, um, if you want to find out what God's will is, read your Bible, right? Number one, have you read your Bible, okay? Uh, read, interpret it, meditate it, memorize, uh, memorize it, uh, practice it in your life, right? The Bible's got to be number one. Uh, number two, he says, develop a heart for God. This is learning to delight in God. That is to bring our desires in line with Scripture, with worship, with faith and, and prayer. And, uh, you know, it's one, something that I always tell these pilots, these pilots, student pilots especially, is that God cares more for, about your holiness than your professional success. God cares more about these student pilots' holiness and godliness more than he cares about them getting the jet that they want, right? And likewise for us, God cares more about our holiness than he does about whatever material success that we're going for, that we're looking for. Um, Number three, wise counsel. Uh, Largely from mature Christians in our lives, we need to evaluate that counsel in light of the Bible. And also make use of common grace, right? There may be people who aren't Christians but have wisdom, common wisdom in a particular field that may be relevantly relevant to us, may be helpful to us, useful. Number four, look for providence. Uh, so what we like to call time and chance, the Bible calls providence. Right, so God is at work in our circumstances. You know, it makes me think of Psalm twenty-three. You know, the places that the shepherd will take us. Right, He moves us through these different places. We may not know why. Uh, we also need to know that we are not promised uh, success in this life, in terms of how we may define success. Uh, and so we need to evaluate our circumstances in light of God's work. And so we need to look for providence. What are the opportunities these open up for? We got two more. We'll be over just in five minutes or so. Just a couple minutes. So number five. This one gets forgotten a lot. Common sense. Use common sense. So if you're trying to make a decision, make make it that decision in light of scripture, giftedness, ability, circumstances. And an overall strategy, right? It was just, it, it said, that's what I'm, that, I'm going to go do. I'm going to go in this, this area, you know. So, Perry, when you were moving over from NASA, you know, back over here, you, you didn't go like, well, I'm going to go into farming, right? It's so like you didn't, you didn't go to because your experience and giftedness was more in administrative and, and engineering aspects. And so you went over and you went over to the, the plan ops, right? So, so that, or and so the public works. And so, um, so you make that, make use of common sense. And then number six. Hold 
So uh, number six is divine intervention. Uh, so uh, six, and he, he puts this number six. It's still in there. It's still in there, but it's last for a reason. Because the problem is, is when we talk about finding God's will, a lot of times people go to this one first. They think, oh, I've got to find God's will. I've got to find a secret hidden will and God give me a sign. Show me something. Do a miracle. Do this. It's like if you're at the point of a miracle, you're probably in a very dire position. In a very, in a really hard position. And that's, I mean, that's okay. That's not bad. It's not like, you know, um, and it's not to say that God won't do that. But there's a whole lot that can be done before that. Before we start praying for miracles for God to reveal himself. And instead we go, okay, did I go to the scriptures? Have I, have I cultivating my heart for God? Um, have, have I sought wise counsel, biblical and also from common grace sources? Um, am I, what, is, what, what are the circumstances in which God has placed me? What's, you know, what does common sense say? You know, and, then, and then finally, praying for a miracle. So, all right, thank you all. Sorry we went over today. Thank you.